transition, I want to ask you something this morning. Have you ever been lost? Raise your hand. Okay. And I don't mean spiritually, because we've all been there at one point in our lives. Have you ever been directionally lost? Even more hands. There we go. I mean, you're in the car, and you've got no idea where you're going. Uh, when I was in college, I was, uh, I was interning here at White Oak, and I was, uh, I was doing the music. And every Wednesday, I would come, and I'd leave music for the youth. And in order to get to White Oak, I would have to basically take 59 to 610 to 290 during rush hour. Okay, so it was like a long trek every time. And so one Wednesday, I remember, I was like, I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm going to avoid the freeways. I'm going to go my own way. And so I, uh, I begin my, my journey to find my new uh, way to get there. And I take one wrong turn, okay? I take one simple wrong turn, and I get completely lost. And the worst thing about when you're lost is you take a wrong turn, and then you're trying to improvise. So you're taking other wrong turns, and you're, you're getting so lost. And I swear I thought that I had teleported into China. Because who knew there was a Chinatown in Houston? And so, like, I didn't. I didn't know that. So it's like, literally, it's, there, there's, like, Chinese people everywhere. And there's, like, everything's in Chinese. And the, the, the street signs are in Chinese. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And, and this was back before smartphones. So I didn't have a GPS or anything. I mean, it was, I was completely lost and... I get very frustrated when I'm lost. I don't know about you. Like, the only time I questioned my love for my wife was one time she got us lost on a trip, and I was so aggravated, and I have thus since repented of that. But it is the most frustrating thing when you're lost. But one thing that I've learned to do, and you probably do the exact same thing, is whenever I'm lost, sometimes it gets so bad that the only thing you can possibly do is go back to the exact place where you started from and just take off again. Sometimes that's all you can do. And I think that this morning, if we were to be honest, as a church in certain ways, we're lost, okay? We're lost. Now, now salvifically, we're saved and we love Jesus, but let's be honest. The past 30 years at this church has been one thing after the next. I have heard the stories I've experienced some of it, and I would say in some ways we are lost. I don't know if you know this, but last Sunday a chandelier fell in the sanctuary from the ceiling. We have a picture. I take this as a sign from God. Like, the chandelier just fell. Next picture. The church bell is hanging upside down. Can you imagine what people think when they drive by? And, and while it's, it's simply aesthetics and it's just a building, in a lot of ways, I think it's a pretty good indicator of kind of like where we're at as a church. And I think we keep trying to improvise in the dark. And, and this morning, I was like, man, what are we going to talk about? There's so many things. Maybe like, maybe some of the things in the new bylaws or maybe talk about some things in terms of transitioning during times of change and something kind of relevant. But I thought, you know what? What is the most important thing for our church during this time is individuals pursuing holiness. And I want to tell you this morning, quit thinking about your neighbor, quit thinking about the the leadership, quit thinking about the general church, and let's focus on ourselves. If we are all individually pursuing holiness and pursuing Jesus, 
I guarantee you everything else works itself out. And the main idea this morning is that in all seasons of our church, we are called to individually pursue holiness. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter in your Bibles this morning. is where we're going to be. Uh, a church 2,000 years ago in Rome was in a very similar situation to where we find ourselves. Um, Peter is writing this, and for those of you who know, uh, Javier pointed this out to me. Um, this is the same man writing this letter this morning that denied Jesus, okay? Like, God uses broken people for good things, amen, okay? And now he's a leader and instructor of the church. And a uh, little bit of background to what's going on in this book. Uh, there was a small church in Rome, and what happened was Nero, who was the emperor, he was like a dictator emperor, he was trying to expand the city at a rapid rate, and he was being a little bit unsafe with some of the practices that he was doing. And so most people believe that because he was trying to build so much and not, not doing it in a safe manner, like the entire city almost burned down. And all of the culture, a lot of, a lot of famous writings were all lost. And this, I mean, the, 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 the nation was devastated. And so what happened was, and what you see in politics even to this day, is you got to have a scapegoat, Okay. When you mess something up in politics, you got to blame shift, okay? So what Nero does, is like, it was the Christians, okay? It was the Christians who did it. And so now they're being persecuted, they're being attacked, much like of what's going on in Egypt today, they're being attacked and persecuted. So Peter writes this letter to them. And what we're going to read this morning is the very first step of action that he encourages them to take in their time of uncertainty. He starts off the letter with a greeting. He says, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is what God has done in the world. And then in verse 13, where we're going to be this morning, he begins telling them what he wants them to do during the season. Would you all stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen for you. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. We're just going to read four verses this morning. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, it says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." May God bless his word. You may be seated this morning. It's real simple this morning. What Peter tells this church, and what I believe that God is telling us this morning, is three things. Prepare your mind for action, set your hope fully on Jesus, and be holy. First thing, prepare your mind for action. Um, I'm very excited about Wide Oak going forward. Um, we are in a wonderful community. We have a lot of wonderful people in our church. This past week, I was kind of going down the, the role and the list of people. And there are some great people at this church. And we're here, and we're ready to do stuff. And I, I met with several people this week, and there's an excitement. There's an energy. It's like, what are we going to do? We're going forth. And it's almost like there's too many things that we could possibly do. And so we're going forth. And so this season, what we're doing and what God's telling us is, look, prepare for action. Who would agree that preparation is key to finding success? Raise your hand. If you're good at a sport, it's because you practice and prepare. If you're good at your job, it's because you prepare for meetings. You do things well. If you do well in tests, Joey's a, 
a guy who does very good. I, I'm guarantee, I guarantee you study a lot and prepare and everything. Actually, he's, he's really smart. Never mind. He goes to wall trips. He didn't prepare. I, thought, I never prepared. My, uh, the first sermon that I ever gave in my entire life, I gave to the youth. I was probably like 16 years old or something like that. And, uh, you know, I was pretty cocky when I was a teenager. Uh, it was a sin that I struggled with. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a good speaker. You know, I'm a good speaker. I like people. I'm, I'm not afraid to be up in front of people. So, you know, I'm going to preach. They were like, yeah, make it around like 20, 30 minutes, you know, whatever. And so, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm such a Christian. I'm so smart. I'm, you know, I'm so, so I mean, I was, I was so arrogant. So I get, I get up there, and I've got, a, I've got a sticky note with two sentences on there. Because Mr. Jerry always said, he said, one nugget of thought, okay? So I went up there, but I didn't prepare anything else. And so I got two sentences up there, and I get up there, and I stand before everybody, and I'm excited. I preach my sermon, and it was around a minute and 37 seconds long. There were people who hadn't even got to their seat by the time I was done with the sermon. And I remember I finished up by being like, that's all I got. Yeah. And everyone was like, like just kind of staring at me. And I realized in that moment, like even if you, even if you feel confident, you always have to prepare for stuff. I love Casey Belgard, But when Kay, you could tell when he had a sermon prepared. And you could tell when Casey didn't have a sermon prepared. And he'd get up there, and he'd start stuttering, and he'd got to tell what he's doing. And I joke about this all the time. Don't worry. He's, he's totally cool with it. But you can just tell when somebody's prepared. And sometimes as a church, I don't think we stop and prepare. I think we just take off. We just, we just go. We just think, okay, so what are we going to do? We start working. We start doing all these things. And we haven't even stopped to pray. We haven't memorized a verse in five years. We're not in God's word, and yet we're going to somehow figure out how to, how to do all these things. And so during this season of our church, what we are doing is we are preparing for action. We have a lot of work to do as a church. We have a lot of exciting things ahead. But we have to be personally and individually prepared before we can have collective success. We want to make disciples as a church. But if we're not disciples ourselves, it doesn't really matter. Second thing is this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to set our hope fully on Jesus. Not on yourself. Not on White Oak. Not on new leadership. Not on a certain style or preference of anything. Not on a program. On Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. When I was in a wedding once, this guy told me, anytime you're ever um, nervous about something or you don't know what to do, he said, take two really deep breaths. Okay, so do that with me. Ready? Inhale. Exhale. One more time. Inhale. Exhale. Every morning when I wake up, I do that. And right after I do that, I remind myself that my success or my failure in life will not change my eternity. Philippians 3 says that we are saved by faith in Jesus alone. And we forget this all the time. And when I come before God in the morning, I I, I, I kneel before him, and I just remind myself that, okay, all of those things that I worried about yesterday, 
and all the things that I have to do today, it's going to be okay because I can relax in the victory of Jesus. It really doesn't matter. If you believe in Jesus, whatever you're worried about this morning, it might be a big deal, but it's going to be okay. And it sounds so simple, but we so often forget that. No matter how many people our church has, it's okay individually for us because we have our hope fully set on Jesus. And if you don't remind yourself of that every day, you will live a life full of anxiety. You've probably come here this morning and you're worried about something. You're thinking about it right now and it's bothering you. And it's okay to have anxiety at times. There's a time for that. But as a church, it's okay. And so as we prepare and as we go forth, we prepare and we go forth knowing that it's okay. Because Jesus loves us. We can relax in his victory. I had a friend who I sat down with one day. He was a good Christian friend of mine, and he was my age, but I, but I looked at him as like a spiritual role model and mentor. And I was going through something in my life, and I said, hey, man, this is what's going on with me. I'm struggling, and I, I need some discernment. I'm kind of trying to figure out what direction I'm going. And I said, I told him a whole story, and I said, okay, so what should I do? And I was, whatever he said, I was just going to do it. And he looked at me, and he said, he goes, man, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm just... I'm not filled enough with the Spirit right now. I'm not, I'm not connected enough to Jesus to give you any advice. And I was bummed because then I really didn't know what to do. But, but I was almost kind of like caught off guard. Because what he was telling me in that moment was he was like, look, my hope isn't set on Jesus. And so if I give you advice, it, it, it's probably not even going to be good. And there is this idea that to make decisions, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are not praying for guidance and for wisdom, how are we to know that the decisions we make will even be beneficial? Over the years, we've made a lot of decisions as a church. Amen? Some have been good, and some have been very bad. How are we to know that we are making good decisions if we are not resting in Jesus? If we're not preparing If we're not focused on the fact that it's okay, we don't have to make decisions out of haste. We get to make decisions out of the beauty of the cross and the satisfaction and the assurance of salvation. It's like that saying called playing with house money, okay? That's how I view life. You know, in a casino, when you've got money from the house, you can kind of of do stuff with it because you're not losing your own personal money. That's a common saying. And as Christians, we're playing with house money. Sorry for the gambling reference, but, you know, it's it's just a perfect way... To, to illustrate it, what Peter is saying here is that during uncertain times, we must focus on what is certain. During uncertain times, we as a church focus on what is certain. Listen to me. Jesus will return one day. They didn't think he was going to come the first time, and he did. They don't think he's going to come the second time, but he will. And when that day comes, and if it happens during your lifetime, and you have faith in Jesus, it's okay. It'll be the best day of your life. And I don't know when it will happen. I don't know exactly how it will happen. The Bible does not specify to those things. But what I can tell you is that it will be okay. 
And if we really believe this, how much more confident could we be in our daily actions? I've heard it said that the most attractive feature that a leader can ever have is confidence. If you exude confidence, people will follow you. If you have confidence, they will listen to the things that you have to say. If you want to have more leadership, you've got to have good truth and then find that truth of Jesus and be confident in it. Because everybody is looking for certainty in this life. Everybody is looking for something that they can latch onto and give their life to and it not just be a sham. And as Christians, one of the best ways that I believe that we share the gospel is by having confidence in Jesus. He lived, he died for us, and he rose again, and he said, go into the world and make disciples. And we have confidence in this. The world has no confidence. There's nothing that they have to even be confident in. I'm not really sure when somebody walks away from the Christian faith exactly what they even walk to to a meaningless existence that you die and it's over? It's like when, when, when Jesus is saying, you guys can go if you want to, and his disciples say, where would we go? Who else has truth? And, and because of this certainty, in this uncertain time in our church, we have to remember what is certain. And we have to latch on to it. We have to get behind it. We have to believe it, and then we have to share it. Holiness is God's will for your life. That's it. I mean, it comes in different forms, but that's it. So during times like these, we go back to where we started from, the certainty of the cross and Jesus. And where God takes us from that point, I I don't know. But we're lost. We gotta get back to Jesus. This is the last point. This is the main point. I want you to hear this this morning. Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He who called you is holy, do also be holy all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. During this time of transition for our church, we can be so focused on decisions. We've got a lot of decisions we're making now as a church, and direction, and future, and all these types of things. There's a lot of decisions to be made. The most important thing that we can do individually for our church is to become more like Jesus. We are called to be holy. We're called to to leave behind the stupid things of the world and come into a new life with Jesus. You know, people say, what can we do for the church? They're willing to help and they're willing to serve. And, you know, we can paint walls and we we can do different programs and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, well, I mean, actually pray. Read the word. The best thing that you can do for our church during this season is to personally grow in your faith. 
And it's no one else you can blame for that but yourself. I'm a big person on personal accountability and responsibility, maybe even too much so sometimes. But the reality is, is when you stand before God, it's not going to matter what your church did. It ain't going to matter when you stand before God how many people came to White Oak. It's not going to matter what the preacher was like, what the governance was like. It's not going to matter what any of it is like. All that's going to matter is where are you at personally with God? I want the best for you guys. I love you all. I want you guys to experience the joy that is in Christ. I want you to grow. I want you to be happy. And the only thing that I can tell you as a pastor is it comes when you personally approach Jesus. And you say, God, I want to be more holy, personally. If we're growing in our faith, everything else works itself out. I remember when I used to get in trouble or I tried to rat on Amy, my sister, my dad would always tell me, just worry about yourself. That's what he always said. Just worry about yourself. And I didn't get that as a kid, you know, because I was so focused on what she was doing that I wasn't focused on making myself a better person, amen? I think we struggle with that a lot. You know, I think that it's natural to look at other people and see the deficiencies that they have, all the while thinking that we're a good person, and any deficiencies we have, we have excuses for them. I was raised that way. Or I've been through a lot of stuff, you know? But it's funny, whenever someone's mean to you, you don't really care what their upbringing was, do you? When someone's a jerk, when someone's not nice to you, the reality is they just need to not behave that way, plain and simple. And as Christians, I think one of our problems is is we try to make collective decisions as a church, and we try to go a certain direction, but we're not individually plugged in to Jesus. And then we're just fumbling around all over the place. And I think because of this, during this time, Peter tells the church, be holy. Holiness is this. It's just simply becoming more like Jesus. Finding out the way Jesus does things, the way Jesus carries himself, and you doing the exact same thing. And sanctification is kind of like the holiness process. It's kind of like sanctification is the act of making Holy, And I want to I throw an idea out your way. Everybody in the world believes in sanctification, okay? I don't care what you believe in, what religion you think is, you know, true or whatever. I don't care what culture or what idea. Everybody in their mind says, okay, these are things that are wrong and these are things that are good. Everybody has that idea in their mind, okay? And so everybody's life is trying to get from being a bad person to becoming a better person. And so what happens is, is we all agree on that. What we disagree on sometimes is what good really is. And as Christians, we believe that is Jesus. I've never met anybody that's like wanted to be a bad person or wanted to, be, to become less of a, of a good human being. Sanctification is putting away the lies of the world following Jesus. I have a little equation here. Up there, it says that God is holy, Jesus was God, Jesus was human, we are human, equals Jesus is our example. Well, it's plus or minus, but you get what I'm saying. So, this is why we follow Jesus right here. This is the idea, this is the concept. This is why we find joy in Jesus because God is holy, God has joy. And as we begin to imitate God, we begin to find the joy that God has in His creation. And I want to say something very direct this morning. Your personal sin 
impacts our church. Your personal sin impacts our church. There is a common lie in culture that says, if it doesn't affect anyone else, who cares what I do with my life? You ever heard that? It doesn't affect anybody else, so who cares what I do? We as a church, we reject that idea because why? We are a family, okay? And we all same the same we all share the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that worked through Paul and Peter is in you and is in me, and we share it. And so because we are connected through the Spirit, when we sin, it impacts everybody because we are in this together. A lot of us are wondering why we're having to sign to become a covenant member. Some people have asked me that, and they're like, because in the new bylaws, what it's going to be is whenever you become a member of the church, you have to sign saying, I'm going to walk in community with, with these people. And some people are, are bothered by that, and I understand why they would be, and I, I understand. I'm going to have to re-sign something as, as well. And so, um, but I, I think one thing that a lot of people have begun to realize in the church at large is that walking in community is a big deal. Like, when you come to our church, if you join, like, we're walking with you. Like, we're connected. And so if you stumble and if you struggle, we all struggle because we're connected. We're a family. We're in this together. And so when you sign that, you're saying, look, I am going to sign this to strive to be more like Jesus and ultimately to help others in that pursuit as well. It's a big deal to walk in community. It's a serious thing, a formal thing. And so we commit wholly to it. And some people also say, well, how come there's certain things in there that are listed? We don't want to be judgmental. You know, we don't want to call out certain things. And I agree with that as well. That's a very, very good idea. I I do not want our church to be judgmental. But here is the thing. We are called to be holy. Not just good enough, not just close, but above and beyond. I, um, this past week was, um, in the meantime, I'm going to probably turn the pastor's office into like a general conference room for, for anybody who wants to use it. And so I was working on it this week, kind of arranging some things. And this thought crossed my mind while I was sitting in there. I thought to myself, and I don't know where it came from, this is the same office that two different pastors of this church have sat in whom were unfaithful to their wives and who cheated with women within our church. Their sin ravaged this church. A personal decision. It did not physically affect anybody around them, but spiritually it ravaged this church. I know of at least two. I've heard there's even, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. The reality is, is that people, and not just not just pastors, but people in this church have stood in our church and have been committing sin that impacts everybody. This message is a call to holiness individually and personally. Quit sinning. Quit watching pornography. Quit quit gossiping. Quit slandering. Quit being a jerk to people. Just, Just stop it. It hurts everybody. Because we're connected and we're a family and we're in this together. And and your personal sin, it impacts us. And it it holds us back. And I ultimately hold myself responsible 
for my sin. I don't blame it on you guys. Oh, well, if they would love me better, if they'd be nicer to me, if they'd pay me more, if they, I, it's, it's not anything like that. It's up to me. I have been given free will by God, and I can sin, or by God's grace and through the Spirit, I can do holiness. And you know, there's, a, there's an innocence to holiness. It's like you're almost kind of regaining your innocence. It's like you, when you were a kid, there's an innocence, and you kind of become an adult, and you walk away. And holiness is realizing, you know what? Doing the right thing really does make you happy. You're kind of maturing out of that lie that walking away from the faith is going to make you happy or make you fulfilled or bring you life. God's will for your life is sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it says, this is the will of God for us, our sanctification. I love simple verses. I love to just tell me how to do it and I'll do it. Probably the most uh, common thing I get asked when I talk with people or I counsel or anything like that is they always want to know, like, what's God's, like, specific plan for their life? Or they've got a decision, they want direction or clarity, and, hey, we're as a church, we're looking for direction and clarity right now, too. And they always come, they always ask me all the specifics, and, you know, I never quite know what to say. Because I can tell what they really want to hear is, yeah, take that job. Yeah, marry that person. Yeah, handle that problem this way. And I feel like it's kind of cheesy, but I'm like, I really think God's will for your life is just that you would reflect him more. And outside of that, I think, I think you'll be fine. And I think if you're doing that, I think the specifics come when we begin doing the basics in our faith. God's will for our church is that we would simply look more like Jesus. It's simple. And I love that. I don't have to be confused about, man, how is everything going to be? Like, like, what's everything going to have to look like? Like, believe it or not, God has no preferred sermon length. It does not exist in the Bible. God has no preferred musical style. It just doesn't. Whatever it is. I hate to tell you, but Psalm 150, I tell, I tell Josh this all the time, Psalm 155 says, praise God with a loud crashing cymbal. I think we have to limit it. I agree with you. But I'm just saying, you see both. There's hymns, and there's spiritual songs, and there's praises, and it's just a bunch of diversity all under the umbrella of Jesus' glory and his name. I think many of our collective problems as a church are a result of individual deficiencies in our relationship with Jesus. I say this all the time. It's hard for me to pray to God and then like come out of the room and yell at my wife, you know? It's hard for me to, like, be reading how I should be a servant and love people and respond negatively to somebody. It's just common sense. And one thing that uh, one of my good friends and a guy who you all know, James Yandelowis, tells me, he says, I read the Bible, and I try to find one thing in there that I'm going to do today that I don't normally do. I'm going to try and be sanctified in one action of my life. And, hey, if you did one a day for a year, you'd be like, Mother Teresa, I mean, you would just be the greatest, most servant-hearted and loving person. And Everybody likes being around those people. People like being around my wife because she's just so nice. She doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. She doesn't say mean things. And so people just like, they just like being around those people. Church, if, if we're personally growing, everything's going to work itself out, and it's going to be okay. And we're going to make great decisions, and we're going to have victory as a church. And I love you all. And at the end of the day, I, I don't really know how else to tell you than to just tell you. I can't make you do anything. 
but I can encourage you to repent and pursue holiness. The last thing I'll say is this, and I'll I'll close with this. Uh, One of my favorite uh, theologians and pastors is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, you're going to be hearing a lot about this guy because he is just absolutely one of my my favorites. He's such a godly man. Um, For those of you who don't know who he is, he was a uh, pastor in Germany when Hitler came to power. He was an evangelical Christian minister um, right around the time when the Nazi party began getting power. Um, he ended up actually being martyred for his faith. He, was, um, uh, he ended up being killed by the Nazi party six days before the Nazis were defeated. Six days after he was killed by the Nazis, they, they stormed the prison where he was. And he wrote a lot about this idea of church community. And he wrote a book called Life Together. And that phrase that we use in church a lot called doing life together and things like that, that phrase really came into popularity when Bonhoeffer began to, to use it. And he was standing up to Hitler, and he was exposing the things in Hitler's um, theology, because Hitler claimed to be a Christian. He was exposing the ways in which he really was not a Christian. And Bonhoeffer in this book had one main point. I want you to hear this, and I want you to really, really understand this this morning. He said this, we are called to pursue Jesus collectively and personally. He said there has to be both. He had this idea that those who are not personally caring about their own salvation and relationship can wreck a faith community. You see, because this this is why. We all have the desire to be satisfied and find joy. And if you don't find that in Jesus, if you don't find that in God, you're going to go looking for it somewhere else. This is why people end up in bad relationships. The question is not, will you pursue joy? Will you pursue happiness? Will you pursue satisfaction? The question is, where will you go looking for it? And the unfortunate thing a lot of times that happens is people, they don't have that personal with Jesus, so they come to church and they're looking at the church to provide a life for them. They are setting an unreal expectation from the beginning that is doomed to fail. The same way the person that walks into a marriage looking for the perfect spouse. The same person that thinks their kid is going to be perfect forever and is never going to do anything wrong. There will be disappointment because the expectations are impossible. And so what happens is they come to church... And when they see things they do not like or they're disapproved of, they become angry. And they do one of two things. They church hop. They go from one church to the next looking for the thing that they want. Because they need that church to satisfy them. They need that church to fulfill them. You know why? Because sometimes Jesus just ain't enough for them. And so they go around and they say, well, will you give me what I want? Will you give me what I want? And they'll never find it. And we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of church hopping to some degree. And I'm not saying it's wrong to leave a faith community for, 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 for the right reasons. I'm not saying it's wrong. If, if I start preaching that Jesus is not God, all y'all should leave. But there's this idea that, like, i got to get this satisfaction and fulfillment, and we can't provide it here. The other time, they just, sometimes they just stay and they cause problems. They're not peacemakers. They're not nice to people. See, what Bonhoeffer said is that joy comes when a faith community individually loves Jesus 
And then we gather together on a weekly basis, and we love Jesus together. I love you all, and I am so excited for the future. I am so excited for where God's going to take us. I, everybody's got a million ideas. I've got a million ideas. I, I love this community. I love these people. I love living in this neighborhood. I love knowing you all. I love the 100 or so friends that I have in this room. It's so wonderful, and I enjoy it. And I look forward to coming to see you guys, and I look forward to opening God's word with you. But the way that we're going to change things, the way we're going to stop having the ups and downs in our church is we're going to personally love Jesus, and we're going to take responsibility for our own personal holiness. I love Psalm 16. It says that the lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. It says, indeed, we have a beautiful inheritance. If you are not walking with Jesus this morning, if you place your faith in him, you're set. It's simple. It's easy. It's, it's not a complicated thing. And we can relax in that this morning. And so we prepare as a church. We relax in Jesus and we just come together and we personally and individually grow in Jesus. I want you to think of one thing this week that you can do. One thing that you can do to encourage your sanctification process. And next week, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to ask you what it was. And I guess you're not going to probably blurt it out. But I might bring a couple people up here and I'll say, hey, what did you do this week? And how did it go? What was it like? Because that's what we need during this season in our church. Pray with me. God, I love you. And I thank you, Lord, that the Christian life is a simple life. I thank you, God, that in the midst of all of the problems and uncertainty, God, that you have provided an assurance of salvation for those who believe in your name. God, I'm saved, and I'm happy, and I have joy, and I'm thankful, Lord. God, you have done so many great things for our church. But God, we come to a crossroads. We come to a time of uncertainty regarding the future, Lord. And God, we know that your will for us during this time, like Peter told the church in Rome, is just that we would be holy, God. God, this week, help us to be holy. Help us to grow, Lord. Make us not apathetic. God, you ask us to do holy things, God, for your glory, God, but also for our joy. It's a beautiful cycle. I'm so happy to be a part of it, God. I pray for the people of White Oak this morning, God, that going forward, we can be more like you. We can come out of the desert and out of the wilderness, Lord, and come into the promised land as a church, God, and experience what you have for us. God, we love Love us so deeply and you're so jealous for us.